This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hosting this podcast has so many benefits, including getting to meet, interview, and learn from so many smart and interesting people. And while I enjoy every interview I do, there are some people that I meet and connect with immediately. Today's guest is one of those people. I'm beyond thrilled to welcome Dr. Kevin J. Fleming to the podcast. Dr. Fleming has an impressive bio. He's produced multiple viral animation videos, including Success in the New Economy, and he is the author of the educational bestseller, Redefining the Goal. Dr. Fleming is a true lifelong learner, Eagle Scout, father, and self-proclaimed recovering academic elitist. He has spent over 20 years in higher education, currently with Norco College as the Vice President of Strategic Development and Planning. During our conversation, Dr. Fleming talks about the relationship between degrees, skills, and the labor market, and shares the four important questions young people should be asking themselves before planning their future. We talk about the importance of giving our teens permission to pivot and how to help students find their purpose on purpose. You won't want to miss Dr. Fleming's four skills and four steps that all students need in order to become career ready. Be sure to listen all the way to the end when Dr. Fleming shares the most important question that parents should be asking their teens when it comes to the future. This episode is packed full of valuable insight and actionable steps for parents of teens. So let's get started. Welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Are you tired of watching the teenagers in your life trying desperately to keep up on the high school hamster wheel? Is your teen confused about which direction to take after high school graduation? Our world is changing, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they can feel empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we will explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and I can't wait to take this journey with you. Hi, Dr. Fleming. Thank you so much for being here on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Betsy. Well, I was so impressed by your conversation with Jay Dussold in the Life After 12th Facebook group that I knew I had to have you on the podcast because you speak my language and you have such great, valuable information to share with my audience. Um, But before we get started, because gosh, there's so much I can't wait to talk to you about, um, would you mind giving just a brief introduction of who you are and what you do for my audience? Sure. Um, I am currently a vice president uh, of a community college in Southern California, 
And I've been in the, uh, the field of helping students find their purpose and in the career development field uh, now for 16 years. I started out, I'm a first generation college student. Um, my, neither of my folks went to the university or to college. And so I, I found my way kind of floundering a little bit in higher ed and that shaped kind of my perspective on career development. And I ended up getting uh, five degrees, uh, two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees and a PhD. Um, but I found myself in working poverty. And it was actually an industry credential that lifted me out of that to be able to financially start paying off what totaled over $250,000 of student loan debt. Um, and so I've, I've written some books and, and, I, and I'm, I'm a speaker and a traveler, but really where my, where my heart is, is to, to speak with students and parents and educators to really just help students identify the alignment between their personality, their, their profession and their purpose. Um, and so this is, it's an honor to be on your, on your podcast because I know your audience is, is similarly uh, interested in how to make sure all students have a competitive advantage uh, once they graduate. So I spend a lot of my days, um, I'm at Norco College in Southern California, um, and then uh, a lot of my resources are also posted online for people to view. Yeah, and we will, we'll talk about your resources and I will include links to all of the videos and your book and anything else that we reference in my show notes so people can find them. So talking about your introduction, you have a lot of degrees. You've spent a lot of time in higher education, both as a student and in other roles. Yet you talk a lot about the importance of skills and training and other aspects of finding the right path. Can you talk about that? As somebody who has so much education, how do you reconcile that with everything outside of higher ed? Yeah, let, let me answer that by kind of maybe digging into a little bit about my my journey, kind of the decision points as to why I, I did what I did. So like a lot of students, um, I was told directly and indirectly that the the pathway to a financial sustainable future and to be successful in your career is to go get a, a formal education. So I somewhat blindly enrolled in a residential four-year university. And I, I remember my sophomore year, I had to pick a major. And, and so I'd never up to that point, never really done any deep self-exploration. I never had any rigorous career development training. And so I literally sat with the catalog and I'm somewhat embarrassed to admit this, but I crossed out anything that seemed difficult or something, if I didn't know anything about it, or frankly, if they met at uh, 8 a.m. classes, I, I crossed them all off and I did process of elimination to choose my undergraduate major. And, and I was left with psychology and philosophy. Uh, that were not checked off. So I thought, well, if one degree is good, two must be better. So I graduated two baccalaureate degrees in psychology and philosophy. Well, my senior year of college, I realized I did not want to be a therapist and I did not want to be a marriage and family counselor. So I knew I wasn't going to professionally pursue psychology as a vocation. So I graduated and then I tried to get a job at the philosophy company which didn't work out too well because it frankly doesn't exist. And so I found myself, like many undergraduates, overeducated but underemployed. I, I didn't have any skills. I, I could write a really good five-paragraph essay about Descartes, uh, but no one, frankly, would, <laughs> would hire me to do that. So I found myself working in the foreclosure department of, uh, of Countrywide Home Loans. It's no longer even in existence. And, 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 and Betsy, if I could be really just honest, I found myself one morning uh, falling asleep in the filing room of of this this mortgage uh, brokerage company, and and I realized this is not who I you know where I want to be, and it's not why I went to school. And so I realized there was something kind of wrong um, with with the trajectory and the alignment of of school and work. So so I I went back to school because at the time, ignorantly, I didn't know what else to do. So I went back and got my master's degree in educational policy and leadership, and 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 I started to learn 
a little bit about school and, and the structure and the framework. And I learned about how to advise a student and, and what those variables are that and what the right questions are to ask so that students can really think in advance about what they want to do and not just like I did kind of do it haphazardly. And, and then I found myself interested in the business side of education to get my MBA. But, but really what struck me, um, if I can share this with you, is that there's one day I was, I was sitting at home paying my bills and I had, I had a stack of bills in front of me and I was, you know, I, I had my, my homeowner's insurance bill and the mortgage and I had the, the, you know, the, the auto insurance and healthcare, you name it. And I looked up at the wall at my four degrees at the time that were framed, two bachelor's and two master's degrees. And then I looked down at my bills and I realized I could not afford my bills because my Sally May student loan payments were over $650 a month. And I felt that misalignment that so many students face, but I did what Betsy, frankly, I did what everyone told me to do, right? I went to school, I got more education yeah, and, and yeah. under that false promise. And I realized the hard way that not every degree is equal and not just securing a college degree oftentimes is insufficient. It might be required to get a job, but it's oftentimes, even if you get one, it's not enough. And, and, and I, and so go back to your question. I realized this, this relationship between, between degrees and skills and, and embedded in some degrees, you get the employability skills and you get the technical skills and you get the academic skills, but in many degrees you don't. And, and while I was well-educated and I am a fan of what I, what I affectionately call the ologies, psychology, anthropology, sociology, I, I don't disparage that getting those, but what I realize is a lot of those degrees do not embed within them the skills that employers are looking for and, and will actually, you know, have as, has labor market value to pay for. And so my, what I've learned in my work and what I spend a lot of time doing is really looking at that relationship between, okay, what, what is a two-year degree and a four-year degree and an advanced degree? And what's the labor market and what are the industry clusters and what are the skills that are required? And, and I, and, and I really want to encourage everyone to, to dig deep in, in that dialogue between degrees and skills and, and, and one takeaway that I want to share with your listeners is just to know that not every degree has labor market value in and of itself. And even if your child gets a degree, it may be insufficient for them to actually have the career and the financial prosperity that they are working hard to secure. That is such valuable insight and advice because these are conversations that are not happening in high schools, not the high schools that I'm aware of anyway. No, that's right. Right. It's all about get the grades, get the SAT scores, get into the quote, best school for the best program, whatever it might be. And nobody's talking to our teens about employability. And to your to your point, the skill, the four skills and the four steps, which we'll talk about because you are an expert in that area. Um, and, you know, I love that you talk about university or bust or college for all. It's just, it's a myth. It's not true, right? I mean, again, I have no problem with college, no problem with four-year degrees, if that's the right path for you, right? What's your take on that? That's right. I I totally agree. I mean, I I believe that um, collegiate education, post-secondary education, and a university degree may very well be the right path for your child, but most degrees are not customized uh, for your individual student. It's, it's, it's a, a, a series of courses and it's a checklist to achieve the courses. And then with that education, the belief is that then they will be prepared for a certain cluster of, of occupations or industries. 
Um, but but recently, I and a lot of my work is surrounded actually around a Japanese philosophy called ikigai that I'd love to introduce to your to your listeners. And and the the Japanese philosophy of ikigai includes education, but transcends education to really look at a student's purpose. And there's four questions that that really should be asked. And 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 I'm glad we'll get into some of my some of the the content in my book um, about the four skills and the four steps for all students to to have a successful career. And it's based off of this philosophy of ikigai that basically asks four things. It says, first, we need to help students identify what they are great at. What are the things that they naturally do well? What are their natural propensities? Where do they find flow? Where do they just, uh, where do they find uh, satisfaction and achievement and, and a zeal for doing activities and things? And, and you first, we want, cause I think all parents and, and, and I have a daughter as well. And I know that, you know, we want our children to thrive. We want them to be excited about what they do. We want them to find uh, a, a purpose and a yearning for what they do. So we really, it's important to identify what is it that our students are, are, are great at and what is it that they can achieve and feel a sense of accomplishment at. But coupled with that is that second question about what do you love? Where, where do you grow a passion towards different activities and endeavors? And, and what are all the different things that, that really fulfill a mission that you might have for your life? Well, the third question is then what does the world need? What are those things that, that are problems that the world needs to be solved? And where are opportunities where there's job postings and there's, 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 uh, really a opportunity for a vocation that the world needs things. And that leads to the fourth question, which is then what can you get paid to do? And, and understanding the, the labor market realities in that, you know, not every doctor makes the same amount of money. Not every lawyer makes the same amount of money. Not every plumber makes the same amount of money. Not every teacher makes the same amount of money. Not every carpenter makes the same amount of money, but there's a, a wage range. And the labor market reality is that a lot of individuals at the top 20% of their wage range makes a heck of a lot more than those in the median range in other occupations that might require more education. For example, 20% of plumbers make more than 30% of doctors. And, and, and we don't really talk about that in conventional education. We just talk about, you know, we assume that there's certain occupations that just at the average you know, pay more. And I'd love to talk about that concept of an average, but, but the philosophy of Ikigai really says, you know, let's help our students identify those four questions. What are you great at? What do you love? What does the world need? And what are you paid for? And if you can almost write down as a list answers and, and you know, to those four questions, the, the overlapping areas of, of intersection and, and the, the occupations or the answers that are on all four of those lists, that's where we can help a student find their purpose. That's where we can help them find their their uh, initial or tentative career goal, and that can help lead them towards then a post baccalaureate plan or a, a post high school plan to know okay then what what um, training programs or military programs or university programs would help them really find their purpose and and meet their vision. I love that ikigai. I've not heard of that before, so we'll definitely put a link to that um, in the show notes too, so people can learn more about it. And so you talked about averages, and I've heard you talk about this before. Averages um, focus on abilities, don't focus on averages. And I love the way you explain this. Would you mind sharing that with my audience? Oh, absolutely. This is so. This is a, a main takeaway, and 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 one of the the highlights, uh, hopefully, of, of of this chat. But I, I would encourage all parents throw away the averages and throw away the means. Um, unfortunately, a lot of educational policy and a lot of local school board decisions are rooted around the average. They look at the average earnings for college graduates versus the average earnings of high school graduates. And they say, ah, well then, because the average earning is higher, therefore all students should get a degree. 
And, and I use this, this analogy um, in a lot of my talks. I think you heard this, Betsy, where I say, you know, imagine that your student comes to you, your child comes to you and says, you know what? I figured out what I want to be in my, in my future. And I figured out my career goal and I want to be rich. Like imagine if that's their career goal, right? Their, their career goal is just to be rich, <laughs> maybe famous, you know, it's coupled with that. Well, do you as a, as a, as a loving, intelligent wise parent do you say ah well then if you want to be rich stupid child then go buy a ferrari at 15 years of age because everyone i know that owns a ferrari is rich therefore if you buy a ferrari you will be well off right we we don't give them that advice instead we say ah well then if you want to be rich then go buy your certified pre-owned honda and make sure to do all the oil changes and preventive maintenance and save your money and, and we give different financial advice because we we have learned there's a difference between correlation versus causation. And, and when you look at the mean or the average, you fall into that trap. It's a logical fallacy to then assume that your child is the average and your child is the median representative sample of every high school graduate or every baccalaureate graduate or representative of everyone in the, a certain occupation. When the, the reality is there, there is no minimum wage for being a therapist and there is no minimum wage for being an author and there's a, a wage range that exists that is contingent upon your child's abilities and skills and passion and time and propensities and gifts. And so your child is not average. My child is not average. All of our children are so exceptional and gifted in some ways. And, and because we're a human being, there's some things I suck at. That's just, that's how this works, right? There's a, a lot of things we're good at, a lot of things we're not good at. And, and so the trick is to help identify overtly and proactively and intentionally, what's all the things your child is good at and gifted at and has a natural ability towards and can grow to improve versus what are all the things, and there'll be a number of them that maybe, even if they might enjoy it, they may not be the best at it. So it might be a hobby, but not a career. And, and it's really talking about then what are those things that are deficiencies? And that directly plays a role into how much they're going to earn. Um, it was about two years ago, Betsy, I think at my, at my institution, it was commencement day. And all the students were walking around with their graduation gowns and their square mortarboard, mortarboard caps. And I noticed one student that was sitting by himself. And so I went over to talk with them and he was getting ready in his graduation garb, but he was looking kind of glum and a little sad. And so I started speaking with him and, and, and I learned very quickly that he was graduating that day with his degree in accounting. And of course I was encouraging and said, oh, that's great. You know, tell me about, about it and what you want to do. Well, I very quickly learned Betsy that he didn't like numbers and he didn't really enjoy working with people. And so, of course, I said, well, then why did you choose a degree in accounting? And, and you know, talk to me about your future career. And he shared with me that he saw a poster in our career center that said, hey, accountants in our area earn $72,000 a year. And so he made a decision two years prior that he wanted to make $72,000 a year. So therefore, he wanted to be an accountant. And I realized we had made a horrible, uh, misleading a mistake by by putting up the averages on the poster on our career center because it was conveying a false reality that implied if you get this degree, you will become an accountant and you will make $72,000 a year. So on this day, I tried, just so you and your listeners know, I, I tried very hard not to burst his bubble. I didn't want to ruin <laughs> his graduation day, but we had an honest conversation about the alignment of skills and abilities and personalities with profession. 
and that not every accountant will earn $72,000. And, and I, I encouraged him to do some self-reflection and to ascertain for himself if he's if he would be at the top of the pay scale or the bottom of the pay scale for accounts, depending on his interests and skills. And we talked about some other things and we exchange information and, and have kept in contact. But, but, the, but the point is that a lot of students that have a minimum wage job actually believe most occupations pay a minimum wage or, or that a salary is somehow fixed and finite as opposed to elastic and very malleable. And, and so I would encourage, you know, conversations to discuss that not all degrees are equal and not everyone's going to earn the median wage and that your child could earn a lot with an industry credential or with military training or with a two-year associate's degree and oftentimes more than the average student that earns a bachelor's degree. Or your child could be at the top of the pay scale with a, a professional degree, with a master's degree or a doctorate, earning way more than their peers. But there's no guarantee there's absolutely no written guarantee depending on where your student goes or what degree they get or what certificates they get. It's all about the alignment of that education with who they are and, and with what they, what they can, can work hard to become uh, because none of us are done yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still some clay that's moist. I'm not done being cast fired. I'm, I'm, I'm not a finished product yet. And I believe none of us are. And so whether you're 13, 43 or 73, we're still, we're still growing and we're still learning and we're still adapting to, to fulfill our, our full potential inside of us. And, and no degree is going to guarantee nor constrain a, a child's ability or occupational potential. And, and so there is a, a real alignment there in the labor market. And so that's why I always lead with, you know, throw away the averages, throw away the mean, because your child is not average. Your child is exceptional. And so you can't follow any of these numbers or statistics or predictions um, that, that try to, to, to nod at, let alone predict um, how much money your student will make uh, once they're in a certain career. Yeah, that, that busts the myth that we often hear that without a college degree, you have, you know, you're going to end up living on my couch. Not true. Um, lots of other paths. And we, you know, I keep reading and hearing from people in the trades, there's a huge deficit for, you know, whether it be carpentry, plumbers, electrical, all of that. But there's a stigma attached with that, right? Um, yeah, there, there is a stigma. You know, and I agree that there's kind of subtle um, hierarchy that we have in, in, in terms of occupations. And you hear it kind of subtly when you talk to people around, whether it's around the, the, the picnic table or the dining room table or out at the playground or, or at the softball field, you hear this, oh, what's Susie going to be someday? Oh, she's going to the state university in anthropology. Oh, that's so great. How about your daughter? What she's going to do? Oh, she's going to go become a welder at the trade school. And you almost hear the, the tonality kind of go down like, oh, well, hopefully she'll figure it out. You know, as a newsflash, a lot of welders make more than anthropology majors, I'm just saying. And, and, and but again, on average, right? We got to be careful of the averages. Um, but we do have this cultural bias and it is, it's, it's persisted professionally and personally. And, and you'll hear it again at, at the next holiday around the, the dining room table. And so we, we have to be very cautious about that. Um, because again, there are individuals at the top quartile of every occupation that make far more than the average baccalaureate graduate. And, and if, if you, uh, if you get a degree in something just to get it, just to get the piece of paper, that is almost the worst thing we can do for the next generation because they are not necessarily going to have the alignment of skills and personality to, to try to ensure, or at least to, to get the best probability of being at the top of the pay scale. And, and, you know, as a higher education administrator, I don't get stock options 
for how many degrees a student gets or what discipline they're in. I know philosophy majors and fine arts majors that make way more than dental assistants. You know, but then, and then I also know individuals that, that are authors and PhDs and make way more than, than the skilled trades. And I know welders that have surpassed the earnings of marriage and family therapists with a master's degree. And so we, we really have to unlearn all of the things that we were taught uh, about, about wages and, and, and college degree, you know, guaranteeing earnings because in the new reality, it's just no longer a, a guarantee, let alone a roadmap. Um, but, but I have to be really careful just to, to make sure I'm clear that it, it could very well be that a master's degree and is the correct answer. And that's going to lead to economic security for your child. But we don't know that yet until you go through some very prescribed steps that research has shown us will really lead our students to success. You can't just jump right to get a degree and you'll be successful. That's no longer always true. Right. And when you talk to a lot of parents of teens, they'll often say, well, my my kid is 16 or 17. They have no idea what they want to do for the rest of their life. And we're not talking about the rest of their life, right? We're talking about what's next, because we all know that we will go on to do multiple things in our life. I'm still finding that out in my 50s. And I think it's okay to for our kids to know that whatever you choose, you're not locked in for the rest of your life, but choose based on exactly what you're saying on the realities, not because it's what everybody thinks you should do. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. I read once that today's high school seniors will have 14 jobs before they're 40. Wow. And, and they may be in the same career in different careers. But think about that, 14 different jobs by the time, you know, in the next 20 years or so. And, and the rate of change in the world is moving so fast and we, we feel it. And if we pause and just even look around us, we, we see the, the changes occurring in industry at such a rapid pace. There is no way right now with certainty to know what your child's going to be doing in 25 years. I mean, there are industries we have not even created yet right. uh, that they might be working in. So it's really about finding a cluster of skills or an industry broadly that they're interested in or to find a mission or problems that they want to help solve as opposed, as opposed to finding an occupation that we want to train them for because those occupations are ever churning. And, and I've seen that in front of, of assemblies. I'll go into a student assembly, Betsy, and I'll, and I'll talk with them and I'll, I'll, I'll look at the students and say, you don't have to decide what you're going to do the rest of your life. You just need to decide what you want to do first. And I literally see their shoulders drop and I can see some of the anxiety kind of whisked away because there's so much stress and tension around what they're going to be when they grow up. And I think that's the worst question we could, we could possibly ask our, our children. It doesn't matter what they're going to be when they grow up. It's just like you said, I love the way you phrase it. It's just what they want to do next or what they want to do first and knowing that they're going to have many, many transitions. And I like to think of it as, you know, the the career of our children is not going to be linear, like climbing a ladder. You know, I used to, I used to hear that that maybe my grandparents had a career like that where they started as the janitor and then they rose the corporate ladder. There's even an expression that says that, you know, to become the CEO of the company. Um, That's so rare nowadays. And I think a better metaphor is not about climbing a ladder, but it's really, it's like rock climbing. 
where you're going to ascend and then you might take a lateral move and you might even have to take a step down a demotion, another industry in order to learn and grow and have access to people or opportunities in order to come around the other side of the rock face to eventually get to the top of the summit. Um, because many of our trajectories are not linear. And, and I, and I love a lot of, by, when I do informational interviews and just talking with folks, I love asking, what was your career trajectory? If in your fifties or sixties, what was your career? And very seldomly do a seasoned professional say, oh, I had a, a very linear trajectory and here's exactly, I knew what I wanted to be when I was 16 and here's how I achieved it over 40 years of work. Uh, that, that rarely is ever the case. And so we have to remind ourselves of that and give our students and our children grace and give them permission to have flexible goals and give them permission to not have anything cast in stone um, because the the future is uncertain and and we really just don't know and to talk about that and to give students that 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 flexibility and reduce that anxiety I think is so important nowadays yeah I, I call it permission to pivot because I don't want our kids to feel locked in especially I mean in the world we're living in right now right a lot of kids both, well, particularly in college, are kind of rethinking their direction, their major, the school they chose, or uh, some seniors are not sure what they're going to do in the fall. And it, as I tell my own kids and other kids, then then pivot. It's okay. Oh, I love that. Can I can I borrow that and I'll, I'll cite the source? Of Betsy. course. Permission to pivot. Yes. That that should be the title of your next book. Okay, my um, my first is, book. <laughs> there's genius there. Your first book. <laughs> That's genius. I love that. Permission to pivot. Oh, Absolutely. Thank you. thank you. I appreciate that. So there's so many things I want to talk about, but can we talk about the four skills and the four steps? Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's. So, so I've been, I've spent uh, over 10 years researching this and, and I wrote a book called redefining the goal. And because I really do think we have to redefine it for our students, because it's not just about getting a degree, it, because even if they get one, it could be insufficient and not everyone needs one to be financially successful or, or personally satisfied in their career. And so I subtitled my book, the true path to career readiness. In the 21st century. And, and what I have found in my research is that there is a path. There is a, there's a lot of research on career development and helping a student to find their purpose on purpose. And, and I boiled it down into what I call the four skills and the four steps. So let me walk through them really quickly for, for your listeners. So the four skills that all students need and, and let me just say these are skills that all students need regardless of their educational trajectory regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of where they're going to go in terms of their education or their career or geography. All students need four things. And the four things they need are academic knowledge, academic skills, life skills, employability skills, and technical skills. Let me just say a, a word about each one. So academic skills, all students need to learn, uh, you know, the, the three R's, as they're called, reading, writing, and arithmetic, um, and 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 they need applied math, and they, they need to understand how to how to pick up a technical manual at their work, how to read it, how to understand it, how to apply it, and then how to explain it to somebody else. Everyone needs to know how to how to to write well, either in an email or in a in a paper or a memo to their boss, whatever their, their industry may be. All students need academic knowledge. They need to understand that basic foundation of general education. And I'm a huge proponent that, you know, all students need uh, a, the basic high school diploma, the compulsory American high school uh, educational core, so important regardless of where any student's going to go with their career, their life. But again, that's only one out of four skills they need. And that is the, the, the one skill that our high schools tend to focus on. And, and they focus on critical thinking and reading and writing and arithmetic. So a lot of that is going to be covered uh, in school. But the second skill all students need is life skills. 
Now, this is everything, Betsy, from how to set goals, proper goal setting. This includes nutrition. This includes physical fitness and, and, and taking care of your physical body. It includes mental health, mental wellness, spirituality. Life skills can include everything from balancing your checkbook. Uh, I don't know if people do that anymore. Maybe they just scroll on their, their app, but, but financial literacy, <laughs> understanding how to, how to just work on a budget, how to save, how to plan, understanding what's an annuity, what are stocks, what, what, what is compounding interest and life skills also includes things like grit and, and, and resiliency and transcending resiliency to overcome adversity. All of that is baked into that second skill of life skills that some schools teach indirectly. Some teachers teach indirectly because maybe they have a heart and a passion for it, but it's seldomly part of the state standards. Although some states are starting to include those. But I think it's that often is what they get from home or from co-curricular activities, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, you, you name it. There's a lot of other groups that will and uh, CTE, you know, current technical education student organizations that focus on leadership skills and, and those types of things. The third skill that all students need then is employability skills. And, and this is Betsy, not just how to get a job, but then how to keep a job. And how to, I'll use your word, how to have permission to pivot in your career in the future when you realize, oh, maybe this isn't the, the right trajectory for me. You know, how do you change careers in your late 20s or your late 30s or your late 40s? And so employability skills really has to do with everything that is in the world of work, aligning yourself with the world of work, professional development, professional growth, being involved in professional associations, staying current with the literature and being able to future cast of where your career is going and how to be, uh, you know, follow, they call it the S curves in your career. So you're always a little bit ahead of, of the next curve. And then the fourth skill that the research shows that every student need is then technical skills. Now, technical skills is the only one of the four that is really going to be industry specific. So the technical skills you need in healthcare are going to be very different than the ones you need if you're going to be in business or finance versus agricultural management versus fashion design versus, uh, you know, aeronautical engineering. So technical skills are really going to be the one that's more focused on getting industry credentials, industry skills, digital badges, and getting third-party verifiable skill sets so that an employer knows, hey, you have competency, you have training in this area. And, and so I actually have on my website, um, kevinjfleming.com, I have a couple of, of free lesson plans that parents can, can download, that can do with their students, that walk them through these four skills to introduce these skills as, as foundational um, I call them cornerstones really for career success that all students need to have. And again, this happens oftentimes outside of school, outside of co-curricular activities, but it's a mindset for students to understand that no matter where they go, they need academic life, employability, and technical skills. Excellent. Oh, this is so actionable, useful, so helpful for parents. Thank you. Let's talk about the four steps. Oh, and Again, all the links, all the references will be in the show notes. I don't want people to feel like they have to write furiously while they're listening because um, we'll have links. Oh, thank you for posting those. I know sometimes I, I speak I speak quick and your listeners may be on the elliptical or whatnot as they're listening. Um, so so the four steps. So, so the research that I've done also 
indicates there is an order to do this correctly for your child. It, it, this is this is not throwing darts against the wall in the dark, but there's actually proven research about, so how do I help my my child walk through these steps? Okay, so so step one, in the in, and, and this is not new, but I'll remind you of what a lot of your listeners know, step one is self-awareness. It's really helping your, your child understand who they are. And this goes back even in ancient times, the Oracle at Delphi had the sign that says, know thyself. And, and so this, this is not new, but it, it, it has remained in all of human history as a very pivotal first step, whether it's for personal growth or for career success. It's self-awareness that, that really, what that looks like is taking personality inventories, taking personality assessments, doing things like the Myers-Briggs type indicator or the Holland code or the strong interest inventory or true colors or what colors my parachute. I mean, there's so many different tools out there and, and there's a lot of them and I don't necessarily endorse or support one because I think each, each one is a certain lens. What I would recommend is that you should do multiple, do three or four or five different ones for your child. And many of them are free online, or it could be a quick book that, that could be purchased and read or videos that could be watched. Some of your school districts throughout the country also provide um, through the Counseling Center, Career Center, some online tools to do self-exploration. But but really the questions you want to ask is it's really, you know, what do you love to do and what are you good at doing and what's your personality? And And I have found that if a child does the Holland Code and the Myers-Briggs type indicator and, for example, a Strength Finders 2.0, if they read that book, they're going to get a really good picture of using other definitions and other platforms, but it starts to frame for themselves how to think about their strengths. And, and let me be clear, these are not prescriptions. They're not painting anyone in a corner or pigeonholing uh, a child. It just gives them some terminology and some different perspectives. And that's why I say do different ones so they can see some of the, some of the overlapping themes that reoccur in a lot of these different um, assessments. And that really helps a, a child really get to, to know themselves and become more self-aware of their strengths. And then, and that naturally leads then to the second step, which is career exploration. The second step is to then say, okay, what are all the things I could do out in the world? What are the things I can get paid to do? You know, what occupations and industries are a high priority? What occupations in my region are emerging? You know, look, look at uh, the future of work and, and the, the, all the technology churning that's going on. What's the future of, of, of an industry look like? Most students from the research, uh, and what I found true as well, is that most students know what they know about the world of work from their immediate family and from television. And that's kind of where it ends unless they go through a rigorous career development class or, or process with school or with a, a, a nonprofit organization. Um, or if they do something on their own, like there's a great, a great um, curriculum online. I recommend a lot of homeschooling and a lot of parents use this. It's called the Dreamcatcher program. And if they go to dreamcatcherprogram.com, they could do something like that on their own outside of school. It's real. It's an eight lesson plan uh, platform they can go through to do this. But they learn about what are all the jobs that are out there and how are they organized? I believe we should not train our students for an occupation, but we should prepare them for a career or a, a set, an industry cluster, I call it, or, or an occupational cluster. There might be a child who says, I, I, I like to help people and I'm interested in medicine, so I want to go into healthcare. 
Okay. Well, it would be folly to say, well, then you're going to become a sonographer and that'll be the one and only job you're going to have your whole career. But instead it's well to say, okay, you're going to have a job in healthcare. Let's explore all of the occupations in healthcare. Let's look at what are the ones that require certain types of schooling, certain type of credentials. What are the ones that are emerging or forecasted to be over, you know, maybe, maybe um, uh, technology may replace certain occupations in the future. So let's be mindful of that and talk openly about that. So step two is the career exploration, really just to learn the department of labor says there's 950 jobs. Betsy, that exists in the world. So, so what are they? And step two is just to learn about them. And then step three is to take those two first steps, the self-exploration and the career exploration, and to put them together. And the third step is career planning. This is then when we start to verify, discuss, and align the, the alignment between your career goal and your personality and your skills. And, and this goes back to the, the story I told a few minutes ago about the accounting major who had no business being an accounting major. It just wasn't, they're going to be at the bottom of the pay scale because it didn't align with his, his strengths and his, his personality in that example. So, so the alignment then becomes, okay, so here's your self-awareness, what you know about yourself. Here's all the jobs that are available in the world. So now we start to align them and set a tentative career goal. And the word tentative is so important so that our students don't have a lot of anxiety about the world of, of work in the future. And then the fourth step in the process, after you've done that tentative career goal is it, that's in alignment and informed by the personality, is then to investigate all the ways to get to that goal. So now you start doing your educational plan. There's 11 different ways to become a registered nurse in America. What all, what are all of them, right? I mean, you can go into the military, you can go to the job corps, you can go to community college, you can go to university. There's, there's so many ways to, you can enter in as a, as a CNA and then, and then go, you know, get experience and, and over time become a registered nurse. There's so many different paths. So the fourth step is to then engage in job shadowing informational interviews, work experience, uh, volunteering in the community. There's a variety of different ways that students can get um, to, to really some, in, some investigative experience with these careers to then ensure that it's really what they want. Yeah. I worked with a student last year who was convinced she wanted to be a veterinarian. And then she interviewed a couple of veterinarians and then realized that's not what she wanted to do at all because <laughs> she had a very different picture in her mind of what it would be than what it, than what it actually was. So it's that, then it's that, that fourth and final step that we do the education plan. And unfortunately, Betsy, a lot of schools start at the last step and they set a plan and say, where do you want to go to college? What do you want your major to be? And they start with that last step absent of the pivotal information of self-awareness and career exploration and career alignment planning that will really help ensure our children make the best choice for them after high school. That is such excellent advice. I've heard you say this before too, start with the end in mind and exactly what you're talking about. Know where you're going before you start on that journey. Somebody else said it's like buying a plane ticket to a conference. Was it you that said that? And and you don't know where the conference is being no, I think I think that was Jay. No, that was Jay. Was it Jay? Yeah. So by you're buying a ticket to a conference and you don't know where it's being held. It's kind of the same thing, right? Well, let's go get a degree. And I've gotten to a point where I don't ask kids anymore where they're going to college. I, my immediate question when they're graduating is, what are your plans after high school? Because I think if we can get our young people to focus more on where they're going instead of how they're going to get there, um, we're going to help them out. I really think it's going to add a lot of value. This has been so incredibly helpful. You know, as a parent of two teens myself, I'm taking notes, I'm making mental notes of uh, so many things I'm going to apply. And 
I would love it if you would consider coming back in the future, because I think this conversation could certainly um, go on for hours <laughs> for me anyway. Oh, I, I would welcome that. There's, there's, we, we touched the tip of the iceberg and there's so much there. And, and I know all parents, you know, we all want what's best for our kids yeah. and we want them to have a successful life and a successful career. And, and unfortunately we have just falsely equated that with getting a four-year degree immediately after high school. And while that very well may be the path for, for many, um, it's, it's doesn't have to be the path for all. And, and I love what you said. It's not about asking, where they're going to go to college. And, and I would suggest don't ask them what they're even going to select as their major to start out with. Um, but instead ask them, like you said, you know, what's the lifestyle they want to lead and what are the gifts they have they want to share with others? And, and my favorite question, Betsy, is to ask our children, what problems do they want to solve? And, and that will help lead them, I believe, to a, to a major and, and post, uh, post high school plans. I love that. Okay, I want to ask you one more question. Um, I ask a lot of my guests, if you could go back and talk to your high school self, high school Kevin, and say one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? That, that's a great question. It, that, I know the answer. The answer is be a better consumer of your educational choices. Um, and this is a whole other discussion about financial literacy. But I, I made decisions to go to a private liberal arts residential university, and then I continued to get degrees that were absent of skills because I thought that's what was going to lead me to financial prosperity. And I, I finished my schooling over $250,000 in debt, like I mentioned before. And I would tell my high school self to just make better financial choices. I, I don't know that I would have necessarily changed the path. I might've picked a different major, might've picked a different school. I might've done it in a different order, um, but I certainly would have made different financial decisions so that I was not burdened by uh, an invisible mortgage that that bankruptcy legally in America, you you, you don't get to declare bankruptcy for student loans. They stick with you. Right. And, and so I wish I would have just had more financial literacy and gone in eyes wide open, understanding the debt I was getting into versus the earning potential that I was setting myself up for. And I would have had more of a financial conversation about higher ed because it is, in many ways, it is a commodity now. It is, you, it's a transactional relationship where you're purchasing tuition in order to get access to courses and a degree. And there's a lot of, of, of cultural nuances, you know, embedded in that. Um, but it is a huge financial decision for, for a lot of families about, about how to afford it and where to go. And so I would, I would go back to my middle school self, not even my high school self. I'd go back into my eighth grade self and start talking about financial realities and, and student loans and, and interest. Oh my gosh. I wish Betsy, I knew how to calculate interest because mm -hmm. I, I've been paying far more than the sticker price for my undergraduate education for the last 15 years. Um, and, and so I, I, again, not to dissuade or, or curtail choice, but just to make sure students make the most informed choice for them so that they, they know what they're getting into and what they're paying for. And so for me, it'd be probably more of a financial, um, awareness question about the, the choices one can make after high school. That is so important. And to your point, a conversation that doesn't happen sometimes at all before kids go off to college, but many times when it's too late and they're already saddled with so much debt. Okay, so we're going to include links to your book, to your amazing video called Success in the New Economy. So interesting and helpful. Um, we'll include links to both of those, everything we talked about today. Where do you want people to find and follow you online? Social media, website? 
Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter and Instagram. It's uh, Kevin J. Fleming, PhD. And, uh, and all the resources are on my website. You know, all those videos are free. There's one just for parents. It's 10 minutes long. Success in the new economy, like you mentioned, is, is about 10 years of research in 11 minutes. Uh, so I definitely encourage those interested in this topic to, to visit that and share it uh, with anyone in your, in your family or in your professional uh, life that, that could benefit from that. Um, and especially anyone with a middle school or a high schooler um, that, that really should be having these conversations um, with, with a lot of nuance and depth um, so they can have that competitive advantage when they graduate. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here today. I am really grateful for your time and wisdom. And I, I know that my listeners are going to find so much value in this conversation. So thanks again for being here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. And thanks for the invitation and look forward to the next time too. Me too. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you would take a minute and give me a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so new episodes will be delivered directly to you as soon as they become available. You can find and connect with me on the High School Hamster Wheel Facebook page. And please consider joining me and my co-host, Jay Dusold, in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide encouragement and help for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. All links and references mentioned during this episode can be found on the show notes page on my website at highschoolhamsterwheel.com. The High School Hamster Wheel Podcast is a proud partner of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness. Featuring discussions with world-renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals. Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of driven living.